Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we got the graphics back. We also provide you the recap of another wild week of college football, and which we realize that we know nothing about the landscape of college football. In addition to that, we'll provide you guys the best waivers at every position for this week. All of that and more coming right up. Goes to the end zone. Oh, what a catch! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is going to be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. Ah, never. Never thought I would miss that intro so much as that. Welcome in, everybody. My name is Jared Palmgren. I am the host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. And, of course, as always with me on the other side of me this time now, I redid the graphics. And so this time I decided to put Xavier on the left side of the screen uh, on my right. Uh, so, yes, y'all, welcome into another episode of the Chasing the Natty. We are here to provide you a weekly recap, this time for week four of college football. And every time... We think that it might be just a relatively quiet weekend. Hell no. This is shaping up to be one of the best seasons of college football we have ever seen, especially in the last, like, probably, I'd say probably five, ten years. Uh, This is easily one of the best seasons that we've been seeing. Upsets left and right. People constantly uh, struggling. Uh, You never know who's going to win each weekend. So, yes, before we get started, I just want to remind y'all, make sure you are following us in every platform that we have, specifically on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. He is at CFF underscore Xavier. Uh, Please make sure that you are following us on Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review on any of those platforms that you can. And finally, make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, because I put a lot of time and effort into these graphics, and I want somebody to be looking at them. So, with all that being said, Xavier, I'm going to let you speak now. How are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, I was going to mention, like, uh, how you enjoyed the music in the intro, because I can never hear it. It's always just dead silent <laughs> for me. So I was like, I'm glad somebody's enjoying the music. I never know when it's happening. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, y'all, we got a fantastic show ahead for you guys. And so for, I'm going to change up the order this week. So I had a couple people... Uh, suggest to us that we start off with waiver wire pickups and everything and then we get to the recap later on and I said that's fine this is a fantasy football podcast first and foremost so we figured we bring you guys that information first and then we get into the kind of game recaps and everything towards the end of the show uh, with that being said Xavier do you want to say anything else before we get started here no uh let's let's get into it sounds good all right so we're going to get started with our quarterback waiver wire pickups of the week. And if you're looking at the graphics, uh, I'm just putting everybody up here on the board. Uh, but we'll take it one by one for those of you on the podcast. Uh, so we're going to start off here with Mr. Sean Clifford. So Xavier, you want to take this one or you want me to uh, talk about him? I can take this one. Uh, yeah, Sean Clifford, uh, a great waiver wire pickup for if you're struggling at QB uh, at a Penn State. Uh, had a great game. 
uh, against a what was it FCS FBS school FCS Villanova FCS Villanova. Um, it was kind of looking like really weird in that first quarter. Uh, it was really close, like fourteen to seven. But Sean Clifford uh, came through through over like four hundred yards. Uh, that's the one thing about Sean Clifford. It's like he has the volume to throw for over 300 yards a game, but it's, it's more of like the pros and cons are like, uh, is he going to throw picks or, you know, things like that. He's not mm-hmm. the greatest quarterback. He's not going to be an NFL prospect anytime soon, but for college, he has a lot of good receivers. Parker Washington had uh, probably his number one receiver for the day. I think he had like four receptions for over hundred yards. And then Jahan Dotson did really well to a hundred yards as well. And then there was another name. I think its name is Lambert, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Um, let me look it up real quick. He's a, I believe, is a freshman or sophomore uh, that they've been hyping up uh, up there at Penn State. Uh, it might be a nice little fancy option for the future if you're doing Dynasty or C two C. Keandre but, Lambert Smith. Yeah, uh, another great receiver at Penn State. So he has a lot of weapons to work with, a lot of tools. That Penn State uh, fr- uh, offensive front looks, uh, you know, decent enough to handle. Uh, why am I saying a lot? It's a uh, Interesting day. A lot of NFL football. Still kind of tired from yesterday. So Xavier's thrown off by the idea that his team could possibly lose to the Jets today. Oh, yeah. That's that's happening currently right now, but it's fine. It's fine. The Denver Rockets will get it done. But, yeah, Sean Clifford, a great uh, pickup with only 27% roster. I think you should go out and take a flyer on him for the upcoming weeks. I'm trying to think. Uh, no, they're probably going to get into Big Ten play coming up soon, but I don't think they have anybody of note uh, their next game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, looking at their Let's... schedule here, they are uh, facing Indiana next week. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think that's a great game for uh, Sean Clifford to have. You know, the Western Kentucky did a good job in the second half against Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. I think Sean Clifford can do well with his receivers, uh, especially more talented receivers than Western Kentucky. Now, that's no discredit, uh, discreditation to Western Kentucky's receivers, but it's just a little bit different once you get into Power 5. So No, fair enough. Um and I think one more thing, did you, men- you mentioned, um, I think you forgot to really mention the fact that Sean Clifford does have plenty of good rushing ability. And so his, his legs are going to be able to give you at least a baseline stat line every single week. So again, I don't expect Sean Clifford to be scoring you 30 plus fantasy points every single week, but he's probably a safe 20, I'd say uh, almost every single week. Uh, so yeah. if you're struggling at QB and you just cannot find guys that can be consistent for you, Sean Clifford might be your guy. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the second quarterback here, and that is Mr. Chase Garbers out of California. And really the thing that's catching my eye here is uh, two games in a row, over 30 points, facing some... Well, he faced Sacramento State, so that's not like legitimate competition, but doing it, doing the same thing against Washington, that's, uh, pre- that's pretty impressive in my opinion, especially taking that game into overtime. And the other thing that's really kind of catching my eye is the schedule he has coming up ahead of himself. Faces Washington State next week. After that, he faces Oregon, so not the best matchup there. But after that, Colorado, Oregon State, Arizona, USC, Stanford, UCLA. Where is the, where is the shutdown defense there? Like, Where is the team that's going to be forcing him to under 20 points in a fantasy game? I don't see it. So I think Chase Garbers is act, actively somebody you can pick up and just provide you, a, like Sean Clifford, just provide you a safe option for several weeks going forward. And except for one week against Oregon, I cannot see a team where you're going to want to bench him for the week. I think Chase Garbers would be a good option. Xavier, you have any thoughts on Mr. Garbers here? Uh, yeah, I think 
Uh, in terms of, you know, where's the shutdown defense in the Pac-12? I think the Pac-12 is an interesting conference. And I say interesting as, like, as interesting as the ACC and the Big 12 is right now. As nobody knows what's going on with them. I don't know mm-hmm. who's good. I don't know who's bad. I don't know who's going to play defense and who's not. So it's really – I feel like it's a little bit of a gamble. Maybe a safer gamble than some other quarterbacks uh, in the Pac-12, but still a gamble none the least. I think that's fair enough. Um, so we'll go ahead and move on to our third quarterback here, and that is Mr. Gunnar Holmberg out of Duke. And I'll be honest, this one was one I was really I was surprised I would ever have him on this list. I expected Duke to be an absolutely awful team this year. I did not want anything to do with a Duke quarterback or pretty much anything on that offense except for maybe Mateo Durant. Uh, but even still, Holmberg exploding for 45 points in this last game. And... Just getting four touchdowns on the ground. I don't expect him to get that every single week. But clearly, this is a team that is going to be flowing through Gunnar Holmberg in order to get themselves back into these games where they fall behind very quickly. Duke, like I said, is an awful team. That offense isn't the worst thing in the world, though. So when they fall behind, they're going to definitely be able to put some points back up. And Gunnar Holmberg's going to be right at the center of that, especially, again, if they keep using his legs like they have been. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Holmberg? Yeah, I think he's had a, a impressive, uh, you know, run a few games to where he's not throwing as many touchdowns. Still throwing over, I think, the past four games he's played, he's thrown over 200 yards, and then there's been two games where he's thrown over 300. And yes, it's not like he's throwing a, a ton of touchdowns. He's only thrown like what maximum of one a game, and there's some games that he doesn't even score. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, throw a touchdown. So I think he's a decent quarterback. I do love the uh, the game plan that they had against Kansas State where. You know, I know it must have sucked for a lot of Mateo Durant owners where a lot of the goal line carries were uh, left for Holmberg to take. So, but I mean, Mateo's had a great day. The offense looked great, but I do have concerns uh, going back to the ACC. Now, I'm not going to say, like I said earlier about the Pac-12, I don't know what the ACC is going through. This is a, a definitely a shift in the college football landscape of like, you know, as to quote the great Josh Pate over at Lake Kick Sports, this is a renaissance season. So... Uh, they go against UNC, then Tech, then UAV, Wake Forest, Pitt, Virginia, Louisville, and Miami are their last uh, uh, their upcoming games uh, until no, uh, November. So mm-hmm. I, I'll look at this and say, hey, look, Duke, you know, in conference play has not looked good in the past years. So I think they're going to rely on Mattel a lot more what they've been doing in the past. But yeah, he had a great game against Kansas and a few earlier ones. But yeah, I think this is where the end of the uh, the line is for him. No, uh, I mean. I, th- I think he can get he can squeeze out some games up here. Again, I'm looking at the schedule coming up, and I just don't really see a defense, at least in the next couple of games, that's going to really keep him contained. North Carolina, they just allowed 45 points from Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia, uh, Tech. Georgia Tech, look, yeah. Uh, I, we, do we have to look at Georgia Tech and say, hey, maybe they have some uh, something brewing up there, up there in Atlanta for you and then, like, next door to me? Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Vir- Virginia, I can't see them containing uh, Duke. They're not, they haven't been able to contain anybody. Wake Forest, surprisingly, might be yeah. a legitimate defense. I'm going to give them that. But even so, I think Gunnar Holmberg's worth a pickup. Uh, next one we're going to go for here is Jerry Bohannon out of Baylor, owned on 9% of rosters. This one I've been surprised by. I, I, I figured he'd been doing well enough to warrant a lot more rostership in college fantasy football, but no, he's still sitting there about 9%. Uh, massive upset for Baylor this past weekend in terms of beating Iowa State at home 
And Jerry Bohannon was right at the center of that. Uh, I believe he led the team in both passing and rushing yards in that game. And I don't think that that's going to be a oddity for this Baylor team, especially if for some reason Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner just aren't performing to the way that they need to. Jerry Bohannon has plenty of legs. And I think uh, Dave Aranda, the head coach there at Baylor, is going to be using him as much as he can. So again, if you're struggling at quarterback, Jerry Bohannon, no reason not to pick him up. Yeah, I, you know, I've been kind of dunking on the last two quarterbacks, but I, I, I truly believe in Jerry Bohannon. Uh, I, I really like his upside with a, his, I wouldn't say so much of a dual threat ability. It's more like a light dual threat to where he's not like the best pass in the world. Like the, the highest amount of the yards he's passed for so far was against Kansas in 269, and he only threw two touchdowns. But mm-hmm. I do love his rushing ability. Now, it's not like he's anything like a Malik, uh, Malik Cunningham or Malik Willis or even Lamar Jackson of the past. But they do trust him with a lot of these uh, uh, when, you know, the play collapses and he runs out on the outside and, you know, gets those either sometimes these are goal line carries. Sometimes he's just genuinely running him in. That's the play call. They uh, draw it up for the QB. So, I mean, he's getting a lot of work doing it, too. Uh, you know, every game so far for the past three games, he scored a touchdown. And then three weeks ago against Texas Southern, uh, he scored two on the ground mm-hmm. and three in the air. So. Uh, yeah, Jerry Bohannon and this Baylor offense, I can't believe that we're saying this. I know you early on, uh, you know, a few months ago where you, we, all, we all thought, you know, I'm not going to just single you out. A lot of people were just not impressed with this Baylor team. The spring game did not look very impressive. We didn't think there were going to be anything coming out of Baylor. Now look at them ranked. I think they're ranked 21, if I'm not mistaken, which, yeah, this is a very interesting season. I don't know what's happening with this landscape. They are ranked. Yep, 21. Yep, they are indeed ranked. And Ooh. I'll be honest, I don't know if they stay ranked. Again, this, this, yeah. there, there's a lot of teams right now that just give me the vibe of, like, you're ranked right now and you deserve to be ranked, don't get me wrong, but I don't think, you, I don't think you're saying there. Um, oh, let me uh, – can I take the next one? Oh, go uh, ahead. Yeah, uh, so our next quarterback, we're on our fifth one, uh, Casey Thompson out of Texas, 21% rostered. So it's been an interesting uh, <laughs> season for Texas, to say the least. QB controversy, uh, Texas' back memes – Things in general like that. I, I mean, there's so much to just like dive into the Big 12 as a whole. And then Texas is just a part of that to where, you know, I guess the Arkansas loss was a very big sting and mm-hmm. a kind of a, um, not a, uh, yeah, it, was a, it definitely was a stain. But now we have to look at Arkansas and say, hey, maybe they're legitimately good. Now, I've seen uh, people mention that, hey, maybe Arkansas was good and also that Texas was just not as good as Arkansas. And I'm going to have to say, slow the bricks. Texas is still not you know, there yet as a program, like offensively, I believe it defensively. No, they're still challenged. Mm-hmm. But with Casey Thompson, I'm happy to see that he's finally getting the reps at QB one again. Um, he's finally, they finally decided to go with him uh, going forward. Hudson card was uh, announced the starter. What was it? Yeah. Uh, initially for the season. And then after what was it? The Arkansas game where he got bitched. Uh, I, do believe, I, do, I do believe at the end of the Arkansas or mid of the mid of midway through the Arkansas game, he was benched. Yeah, so I think uh, Sarkeesian made the right decision to go with his more experienced guy and his more mobile guy because the O-line does not look that great uh, in terms of QB protection. Now, for Bijan and a lot of those other backs, they do fine in, uh, you know, with the pass, uh, with, with the rushing, uh, with the rush block, uh, the run block. But mm-hmm. in terms of pass protection, no, it's, it's not there. Now, they did go against a Texas Tech team that was defensively challenged as well, and Casey Thompson exploded for a lot of yards, uh, 300 yards, five touchdowns, and had one on the ground, so six in total. So mm-hmm. I think going forward, I think this Texas offense is where, you know, they kind of 
saw themselves uh, to be, you know, with not to say that Casey Thompson is something new for them, but I think they, this is what they had in uh, mind when they wanted to start off the season, a, a more explosive offense. And I think going forward, Casey Thompson is that guy. I think Car- Hudson Card is still a great quarterback. And I think he's going to be great in the coming years, but I think this is Casey Thompson's team until proven otherwise. I have nothing to argue against that. Again, I think the, the reason why I put Casey Thompson on, I don't usually put people on the waiver wire list after one good performance, but you can just tell this Texas team was different when Casey Thompson was out there starting full-time for them. And you are looking at a guy that I think is in a Steve Sarkeesian offense that can absolutely put up points every single week. I mean, we saw what they just did to Texas Tech. 70 points in that game. My God. Oh, the humanity. All that good jazz. So Yeah, the receivers look great. Bijan Robinson is living up to the potential of... Uh, there's no reason... I had to... I was going to say, there's no reason not to pick up Casey Thompson and just exactly. plug and play for the Texas quarterback. Anyway, you're saying, sorry. I was going to say, I was like, they just have so many weapons. I think uh, if I had to guess of, uh, you know, if all the people that chose Bijan first round, you know, over, uh, you know, some other guys that they did, like, you know, over Brees Hall and then Mohamed Ibrahim, then, you know, you're kind of living life right now. Now, Brees did explode for a game this past weekend, but I think Bijan's been the most consistent so far. I probably, I, I, I wouldn't be, disagree with you. Uh, so with our last quarterback here, this is very similar to Casey Thompson um, to where his team just looks different now that he's back in as a starting quarterback. Jeff Sims came in to the Georgia Tech game against UNC and just absolutely exploded. Uh, they beat the living crap out of uh, UNC and Jeff Sims' legs are going to be a massive problem, a massive change for... like his, I believe uh, Battle is his, uh, is his backup uh, name. He had some le- or he had some rushing ability, but man, Sims was just on another level during this game, and I don't think it was something UNC was prepared for, and I don't think it's what a lot of the ACC is prepared for. Uh, Jeff Sims, his passing still needs a lot of work, but even still, his legs are going to give him a very safe floor every single week. And Georgia Tech is again looking better than we were thinking uh, at, the begin- at the start of the season. So I think Jeff Sims is absolutely worth a pickup. What do you think, Xavier? Yeah, I love the legs. I love where Georgia Tech is moving. I can't believe I'm saying this. It just feels weird to say that Georgia Tech might be a good football program. Am I going to look forward to that game at the end of the year? As you see, Georgia it feels Tech? weird because they lost to NIU in the first week. They did. They did. It was very weird. But I guess the ACC is just turning on its head to where Wake Forest is the number one team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just weird to say. But it is what it is. This reality we live in. Jeff Sims and Georgia Tech are, you know, on a on a blood path of just, you know, let's see who can run on and it absolutely just curb stomp. Absolutely. So. All right. So now we're going to move on to our running backs. We got five of them this week. Uh, quarterbacks mm-hmm. are the only one that we had six for. Everything else has five. So, uh, like I said before, if you're watching the YouTube product, you already see all five of our guys up there. Uh, if you're on the podcast, you're just going to have to be patient. Wait your turn. So... <laughs> Anyway, starting with running backs here. So, first one we got on the board. Again, I try to keep it under 40% roster ship. This one barely made the cut. B.J. Baylor out of Oregon State. There is no reason why he should be on this list by next week, y'all. It is very clear that Oregon State is going to ride or die on B.J. Baylor in terms of their rushing game. Now, he didn't score any touchdowns this past week, but I believe he scored over 150 yards on the ground with uh, about 19 carries. You got those stats for me, Xavier? 23 carries, 158 yards. I was underestimating his carries because, again, B.J. Baylor, Oregon State, there's no reason not to pick up um, him by next week. Any any fight back on that one, Xavier? 
Not really. Uh, he scored in almost every game except for this past one and still remained relevant by running over 158 yards. And he had a reception, too, so he had mm-hmm. PPR. He got you an extra point. So we'll go ahead and move on from B.J. Baylor because, again, that, there's not much to say there. Just pick him up. There's no reason for him to be under 40% this next week. Evan Hall. Uh, one of the big questions after the, the offseason was who was going to step up for Cam Porter at Northwestern. And it looked like that we were going to get a mix of like Andrew Clare, Evan Hall, uh, Titus. Uh, There's going to be a whole mix of people there. And it was like that for the first like two or three, uh, one, one or two games. Evan Hall over the past couple games is starting to solidify that backfield just a little bit more and become that main guy for this Northwestern offense. Now, the big question here is Northwestern. Are they going to have a lot of scoring opportunities? That's, uh, we'll see about that. But even still, if you're looking for just a volume guy, a guy that's clearly becoming the number one for his team, Evan Hall, I think, is a good bet. So, Xavier, what are you thinking here? I'm going to have to disagree on this one. I, I think if you if you came back to me maybe like uh, at week during week one and brought this name up, I would have totally agreed with you for the first four weeks. Now you're going back in the uh, Big Ten play. Uh, they first lost to Michigan in week one. I mean, it was a great game for Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was his first game jitters. You know, you could chalk that up. But then after that, you want to get to Indiana State. You won. Obviously, Hull got the carries and the volume. And you want to get to Duke. And then he didn't rush for that well. And now, not to say that Duke is a bad program or anything like that. They obviously look better this year. They look like a, a up-and-coming ACC team. But then you go against Ohio, uh, Ohio, a MAC team, and he does great. But now you're going into the Big Ten. We just mm-hmm. saw what Nebraska did to Kenneth Walker. Then after that, you have Rutgers. You saw what he did to uh, uh, Rutgers did to Corum. And after that, you have Michigan. Michigan's a great def- uh has a decent defense this year. Then you have Minnesota. You can probably squeak by, and then Iowa, and then uh, another just a slew of other teams. Like maybe towards the end of the year, Purdue and Illinois might be better for him. But for now, I'm just not seeing it. It, it. Unless you're just really struggling, it would more be like you have to have them stash them on your bench and play them based on matchups. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if next week, if he if he breaks up again, who's he playing this week? I forget off the top of my head. Uh, they have a bye. This they have a bye this week. Or, okay. Yeah. Let's see. Wait. No, October second is next week, so they play Nebraska next week. Okay. I think if Evan Hall goes off against Nebraska, I think that would be good fortune for him going yeah. forward. Um, Absolutely. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's still on this list by next week. But if he's still on this list by next week, he's on it for a reason. It means pick him up next week as well. So, from one Big Ten running back to another, we have Mr. Teon Fleet Davis. Xavier, I'm going to let you pick up this one because this is kind of a name that you were watching for big time this weekend. Yeah, uh, Maryland has been a not so much a surprise. I, I had them going in. I was like, I think a lot of people are sleeping on Maryland. I think a lot of people kind of wrote to, uh, not to, it, Talia off. Now that we have to consider, you know, there's another tongue of Iloa playing football. And obviously, I think one's, uh, one's injured, the other one's playing well for Maryland. So, a lot of people kind of wrote Maryland off. They thought they, was, they were just like, you know, kind of a, a cupcake opponent that you would just go against in the Big Ten. But Maryland is uh, slowly showing that they have a lot of playmakers on that team. And a lot of people thought it was going to be in the passing game. You have Rakeem Jarrett, Dante DeMoss, the one tight end that is, that's name I cannot pronounce. I will learn it one of these weeks. But <laughs> I think you've mentioned uh, that every single week that we've I been have, on here. Because we've talked about Maryland so many times. We have, actually, yeah. But, I mean... Tayon Fleet Davis is the starting running back from Maryland. It's not like he's getting the volume of, like, you know, a lot of these other guys, like a, a B.J. Baylor or Evan Hall. But for some reason, every game, he finds a way to get in the end zone, one mm-hmm. way or another. And I think that just has value. They, 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 they definitely trust him when they're in, like, short yardage situations and also if they're in the red zone as well, too. 
So that's where a lot of his pro, uh, production is coming from. But then there's also other games where he can go off against West Virginia, probably his best game, 18 uh, attempts and 23 yards. And then he had uh, some receiving Wait, hold on, hold touchdowns. On. 18 attempts for 23 yards? No, 123 yards. Okay, okay, was, okay. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, said no. 18 for 23. I'm like, Xavier, that is no, awful. No. My bad, my bad. Okay. I am so sorry to abuse. Yeah, 18 attempts and 123 yards. He had no touchdowns, but that was probably his best rushing game uh, out of the games that he's played. And I was like, you've shown the ability. Because West Virginia last uh, this past weekend showed that, hey, they're not a defensive slouch when they're going against Oklahoma, or maybe that's just a little bit more telling to Oklahoma. So we don't know. We'll get into but that I, later. I love, yeah, we'll get into that later. But Teon Fleet Davis is a guy, you know, 20%. I can understand if it's under 40% for next week, but I definitely would like to see an increase because I think he's that good of a talent in terms of getting into the end zone. I have nothing to argue against for there. We'll move on to our next running back, and that is Mr. Jalen Warren at Oklahoma State. Uh, top running back for the uh, for the Cowboys for the past two weeks. And as far as I'm concerned, he's going to continue to be it for the next couple of weeks. Because the main thing here is that Desmond Jackson and L.D. Brown are both injured and banged up. So, as long as Warren continues to produce, Mike Gundy will have no reason really to take him off the field here. And so, I think that... If Warren really and truly continues to be that number one back for Oklahoma State, we saw what Chuba Hubbard did two years ago and everything, and we saw what happens when he settles in on one guy. Warren could easily become a league winner by the end of the season if you don't go ahead and pick him up now and if he continues to keep this spot. Xavier, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I have no discrepancies with this pick either. I love the volume that he's getting for the uh, these past two weeks, and you know, I would be concerned if, like, college football was just, you know, having a normal season. I'd be like, ah, man, he has some tough Big 12 uh, opponents coming up. But now I have to look at Baylor and, like, ah, are you uh, are you going to play defense today or are you going to play defense another day, another week? I, I don't know what's going to happen. Iowa State, Texas, Kansas, I don't understand what's happening in college football. I don't think I can comprehend it. But I think offensive for, you know, a lot of these offensive players, especially, like, since this is a fantasy podcast, this is a blessing because – Seems like only like two or three teams that know how to play defense this year. Or at least consistently know how to play defense. Consistently. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll, so, yeah, Jalen Warren, definitely a pickup. I think he should be by 40% uh, by next week. Yeah, and so the last last running back I want to throw on here is uh, Mr. Keaton Mitchell out of East Carolina. Before the season started, Raji Harris was really the uh, – uh, Rajai Harris was really the running back that everybody was looking for on this East Carolina team. And while he's been doing well in his own regard, really it's been Keaton Mitchell that's been getting the work in both the rushing and receiving game for this offense. Over the past four games, he has scored over 20 points, three out of those four games. That's consistency to me. That's worth a pickup on your team, especially if you are struggling at running back. So Xavier, what are you thinking here? Yeah, I think it's a, a definitely a good pickup. I, I, you know, it might not be at 40% because maybe people are still hesitant a little bit. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the past two games, he's had, like, a similar carries. He had 13 and 14, but he had over 100 yards. But then he's had, like, the first two games he had duds. Now, one mm-hmm. was against South Carolina, which is, a you know, a power five opponent in the SEC. And South Carolina's, you know, done a good job against the run so far this year against some good running backs. So, I will give him credit for that. And then Appalachian State, that was his first game as a freshman. So, But he had a receiving touchdown. So, I love the dual ability, the versatility of this back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, definitely going forward, uh, I definitely sh- would, wouldn't be surprised if this shot up. Now, if it gets to 35% or 39%, he will be back on the podcast again 
for Probably. next week, and he will be number one unless somebody else just comes out of nowhere and explodes. Yeah, I, but, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I I definitely have no argument here. Yeah. All right, so let us move on to our wide receivers uh, to pick up for this week. Every week, I usually have like one or two position or one position group that kind of I kind of struggle with finding guys to pick up off the waiver wire. And I'll be honest, this week it's the wide receivers. I got a couple here that I really like, and then like the last two, I'm just like, eh, third throw. I'll throw them out there if you like them. You like them. You don't. You don't. Uh, Micah Davis out of Air Force. Uh, dude is not a wide receiver, but is listed as one. Uh, he gets maybe like one reception a game, maybe two receptions a game, but he's going to get plenty of rushing ability. So basically, kind of like a nice Smith last year, to where he's almost like a little cheat code in that way. So. Uh, Micah Davis, I think, out of Air Force is worth pickup, especially if you are struggling at wide receivers. So, Xavier, what do you think here? Yeah, I really don't like military schools, but I, I do. I'm not a fan like, here. I'm not a fan either, but I can't ignore his consistency. Yeah, uh, he's scored three out of the four games that he's played, and you know, there he's shown like you know actual receiver skills to where they show up in the column. There's one game I think he had like four receptions over 100 yards, and then he still had rushing. So I, I I won't ignore it, and I I don't won't disagree with you on it, but I wouldn't be you know too surprised if I weren't let uh, if I if I was let down you know in a couple of weeks. No, fair enough. Again, mil- military schools are always a gamble, in yeah. my opinion. That's why I don't. That's why I don't have Christian Anderson, quarterback out of Army, on here. That's why I don't have any of any of the Navy running backs or anything on here usually. But Micah Davis again, I just saw the consistency. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna throw him on here. Uh, next wide receiver I kind of want to talk about here is Mr. Kyle Phillips out of UCLA. Man, Dolchich so far kind of a disappointment this year, and a lot of it has to do with Kyle Phillips over the last two weeks really becoming a favorite target of uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Now, big question about whether or not DTR plays this upcoming week. He did kind of get banged up at the end of that Stanford game. Uh, but even still, Kyle Phillips is showing to be a big piece of this offense going forward. I believe he scored 30 points two times in the last two games. So, yeah, only owned by 10% of rosters. You could do a whole lot worse than picking him up and just seeing how he does on your bench for a week and then going forward. So, Xavier, what are you thinking? Yeah, uh, you know what? Going into the season and then seeing the first two games at UCLA, I didn't expect their passing attack to have, you know, much relevance. But Kyle Phillips is the obvious number one. He's their leading pass catcher. It's 16 uh, receptions. And then everybody else, the next highest is Dolchich at seven. And he has the most touchdowns uh, in terms of receiving it in five. So mm-hmm. I think that and that's the second most on the team uh, outside of the quarterback. Um, so I think it's something you can't ignore. I think it's a shot you can take on. Um, with DTR going down, it will be interesting to see. If he does play, then, yeah, obviously, I, I still have hope for Kyle Phillips. But – I might have want to, you know, do a little bit of research and seeing who might, if DTR doesn't play, who's going to be their backup and see if they have any. Uh, You're likely looking uh, at, I, I, I know his name off the, off the top of my head. He just, uh, came, he just came from Washington. Ethan Garbers. Garbers. Ethan Garbers. Yeah. yeah. He'll, he'll likely be the backup. Okay. Um, yeah. He's a, what, a freshman? I believe he's mistaken. a redshirt freshman. Redshirt played, freshman. Okay. He, he played at Washington last year. Okay. Mm. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. Maybe, I mean, you got recruited for a reason. Maybe he has some talent and maybe you can find Kyle uh, for him. So, absolutely. But yeah, Kyle Phillips is definitely a guy I would love to see, you know, go up in percentage. Uh, and roster down. So, uh, 
Another name we're going to point out here, and that is Mr. Corey Sutton out of Appalachian State. Dude has gotten double-digit targets over the last two games for Appalachian State. This is a good Appalachian State team. They're going to be putting up plenty of points every single week. they got a veteran quarterback in Jace Price who's going to know exactly where to place it for Corey. A guy as talented as Corey Sutton is going to be. Uh, last year, he was very much a disappointment. This year, it looks like he's back to his 2019 form. And yeah, going forward, Corey Sutton easily could be a very consistent wide receiver for you each and every week. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Sutton here? Yeah, um, I think he gets the targets. He gets the, a lot of receptions, a lot more than, you know, your average wide receiver. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for him. Uh, I think the past two games he's had over 100 yards, maybe not a touchdown in every one of them, but mm-hmm. the opportunity is there. And Appalachian State is not a bad team uh, for their conference. And, yeah, if you have the number one receiver, then, yeah, might as well go get him. He's only 9%, so he's out there in majority of the leagues. Yeah, no, exactly. Absolutely. Uh, so, like I said, these last two, I'm not entirely sold on, but I'm going to throw them out here because I do think, again, if you're struggling at wide receiver, here's some guys that you can probably take a shot on. Uh, Grant Dubros uh, does not have the consistency that I want, but he definitely has the upside. Uh, scored over 25 points in two of his games this year. Uh, usually uh, when uh, Chris Reynolds performs well, uh, Dubose uh, performs, performs well. So... Uh, if I remember correctly, I looked at the schedule. Yeah, here or er, yes, and so I see plenty of opportunity for them going to going forward. Ford International, Ford Atlantic, Western Kentucky, Rice, uh, Louisiana Tech. These are all teams I think that he can score on. Uh, I think that Chris Reynolds can get hot in, and when he's hot, Dubose is getting hot. So I think Dubose is somebody that you can take a flyer on for these next couple of weeks. Xavier, what are you thinking here? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I still love Victor Tucker as that number mm-hmm. one receiver for Charlotte. But um, I, I don't mind having a guy that, like, you know, you can have a 1A and then a 1B. I'm not saying that Dubros is a 1B, but I think, you I think know, he is. like you said, Victor oh, Tucker is the upside. No, Victor Tucker has 18 receptions. Dubros has 20. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah, this last and, game. And Dubros has nine. four touchdowns. Vic, Victor Tucker has zero. That is true. That is true. So I, I think, you know, in the past, Victor Tucker was that number one. So now you can have that one B guy. <laughs> That's funny how quickly your tone changed there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, well, never mind then. Victor Tucker. Sorry. <laughs> no. I, I remember the first game Victor Tucker did well. Uh, and mm-hmm. then after that, it was just more of like, eh, this wasn't getting touchdowns, but, you know, moving the ball down the field and mm-hmm. they won three other four games. But yeah, DeBrose definitely has the upside. Absolutely. And then the other one here. Dallas Dixon, the number two wide receiver for Central Michigan, with Sullivan getting banged up pretty often. It seems like he just can't really stay healthy. He's playing, but again, it's affecting his performances in games. Dallas Dixon is quickly kind of setting himself up to take advantage of that, getting more reps, getting more targets. And I think for a guy that's only owned 2% on rosters, he could do, he could be on a whole lot more rosters and provide you a better advantage. Xavier, what do you think about Mr. Dallas Dixon? Yeah, um, he's their number one uh, receiver right now. Uh, doesn't have the most touchdowns. Well, you said Sullivan's banged up, so that's going to be a lot more opportunities for him. And mm-hmm. for a guy that's the number one receiver, uh, I think that's really good. Uh, 21 receptions, and then uh, Sullivan's at 18. Now, Khalil Pepleton, I still love him. I'm waiting for him to get a touchdown eventually. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Dixon, is uh, he's, he's made a name for himself, so. Yep, uh, again, these last two I'm not entirely sold on, but again, if you're really struggling and you're like a deeper league and these are likely guys you're going to find on your waiver wire, 
pick them up. Ain't no reason not to. So we will go ahead and move on to our tight ends. And so basically almost just like last week, almost the exact same list of guys. The big one that's the change here is Mr. Garrett Prince out of UAB. And I try not to get suckered by UAB tight ends, especially in the first one or two weeks. But Garrett Prince, these last couple of weeks, has been getting consistent work out of the quarterback Hopkins. So I can't not suggest him here because he's been getting, if I remember correctly, he's hit over 15 points for fantasy in the last two yeah. games. So I see no reason why not to just, you know, take a fire on him. And then, like I said, rest of the guys, all people that are, like, it's the exact same list. Tyreek James, Jelani Woods, Sam Laporta, Lucas Kroll, all guys that are getting consistent work over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Jelani Woods is banged up right now. That's the only thing I'll say there. Uh, but anyway, again, same list of guys. I'm, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. Yeah, I'll just mention Prince is like he's the number one receiver for UAB right now. And is it it's really? Not, it's not even close. It's 13 receptions for him. And then Shropshire Shropshire is at seven. God, that's a hard name to say. Shropshire. But I, I think he's a, a good red zone target. He can catch it at the deep ball really well as long as it's been 61. So I'm like, I don't doubt your ability to act like a receiver and go downfield. Mm-hmm. But also he's been getting a lot of red zone ones as well, too. And the only one other one I can really speak highly of is Sam Laporta. I, I think, you know, Iowa is tight in you for a reason, and he's shown up for the past few weeks of scoring a touchdown at least. So mm-hmm. I think he definitely needs to cross that 40% threshold so we don't have to talk about it anymore. I am happy <laughs> that people – I am happy that people took our advice and Brock Bowers is not on this list because I was going to go on a freaking rampage and be like, no. are you people not listening to us? No, like, 50, I just, 54% I, That would hurt my has. heart. I was going to ask him to say, is this is this going to hurt my heart that he's not on this, like that he's going to be on this list? I was like, I have raved this man up no, from he, the get-go. He is owned in 54% of fantasy leagues now. So Thank we, we, we have people. done our job. We have. Now, 46% need to just catch on to the program because there's not that many other tight ends that you need to have on your roster. Like if you don't have like Meyer or Dolchich or who else, Princeton, I'm trying to think of anybody else. Like that's only about three teams. You mm-hmm. need to have Brock Bowers on your team. Even Meyer's not looking as hot as he did in the yeah, first few not. games. Uh, anyway, so those are all of our waiver wire uh, plays for this week. There's plenty of those other guys out there. Again, do your research, all that good jazz. But those are the kind of the guys that we're putting out there and saying, hey, if you're struggling at these positions, these are the guys to go for. So with all that being said, let's talk about some of these. Get to the fun part. Let's talk about some of these games. Like, my God. Anyway, there's no other place to start than the upset of Clemson at NC State. Uh, Xavier, you want to take this one? Because, man. Yeah, uh, the ACC, um, you, you are a dumpster fire. I, I, there's nothing else I can say. Um, your alliance with what? They're doing an alliance with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to probably have to speed up that process because right now the SEC, it's just the SEC and everybody else. It's not even close. The fact that we're getting Oklahoma and Texas, two teams that don't even look that good right now. The Mm -hmm. fact that we're getting them, that's all we really need is sad. We still have seven teams ranked in the top 25, but let me get it off of that because I just wanted to spew some ACC hate. This game, 
I, I feel I feel a certain type of way. As a guy that drafted DJ in our league, and for mm-hmm. all the other people that wasted a, a first-round pick on DJ, I didn't because our league is a little bit smaller and I wanted some other guys over a quarterback early. But I, I just feel for the guys that did draft DJ and had high expectations going based off that Boston College game and that Notre Dame game last season. It looked great. Now, I will say there should have you – know, maybe we should have looked in a little bit more to like with Travis Etienne leaving – and Amari Rodgers and Cornell Powell gone, will Clemson be able to reload like a Bama? Have we seen Clemson truly reload like a Bama yet? Because, like, we, people forget that Travis Etienne could have left for the draft two years ago, but he decided mm-hmm. to stay for his senior year. So it's a big part of their offense that decided to come back and help out Clemson for that uh, their season last year. And you mm-hmm. still have Amari Rodgers that wasn't drafted, that was there uh, back in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So – a great, uh, great guy. And Cornell Powell has been in uh, depth uh, down the depth chart and finally emerged uh, this past season. So you have a bunch of new guys and Justin Ross coming back. And I don't know if we mentioned this on the preview of the recap, but you mentioned about their receivers mm-hmm. and how they are very, all of them are just clones of each other, just copycats. There's not like truly any separations in, in their skill. And now speaking of separation, not that was I don't speaking think of separation. Any, yeah, speaking of separation, I don't think any one of them can truly like separate from a DB or even a linebacker. That's that's their problem. They don't have receivers of different skill sets. We all they have a bunch of X receivers out there. You get tall receivers and expecting everybody to be Julio, and it's not like that. Not every six six guy is going to run a four four and be able to separate from his DB. Like these DBs are getting stronger, faster, and taller, and these Clemson receivers aren't able to catch up. And that's just spelling danger for DJ and his draft stock. A lot of people are looking now as like DJ may be a terrible quarterback. And I just want you to look at the game and it's not like ultimately DJ's fault. The play calling there they're calling for him is just not helping him thrive. Honestly, for this season going forward, they should just run him more. Mm-hmm. They, I'm not saying like completely go over to like a Louisville style offense, but it's kind of looking like that with Shipley going down and your receivers not being able to get open and you can't even beat lesser competition. Well, again, so, I, you, you were talking about the passing game a lot there, and I just was going to say, like, oh, like the natural thing would then to be turned, like, oh, let's turn to the run game. Well, you can't do that either because this O-line can't keep up with this whatsoever. They can't run block to save their lives. Shipley's a very talented running back. And By sadly, every he's down. Well, it's, it's, it's extremely sad that he's down. I hope he gets better as quickly as possible. Yeah. But regardless, like, this is Clemson. This is a team that, like, you could, should be able to pick up a guy off the street, and you should be able to run better than they're running right now. Like, this is, like, it is crazy how quickly this O-line fell apart for Clemson. And I think that's honestly almost a bigger story than the wide receivers. Because without an O-line, you can't give your DJ time to pass. And without an O-line, you can't run the ball. And if you can only do one of those things, well, then you become a very easy team to beat, just like NC State did this past week. And let's credit NC State. They played a complete game in this game. They did. They played 100% to their ability, and it was good well, enough to beat one of the top teams in the country. Okay, I'll say wait. 99. I'll say 99%. That kicker is still – he needs to, he needs his uh, scholarship. Okay, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. He almost missed that. If he, if he had missed that uh, game winner, it would have been bad. Or not the game winner. What? No, no, he did, he did. miss the game. He winner. did miss it. Oh, he my did. God. That's I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. It was, I forgot. Like, it was a double overtime because of him. <laughs> You're right, you're right, you're right. But yeah, NC yeah, State played, almost 100% to their ability. Uh, Devin Leary had probably the game of his life. Um, Emeka Amezi, great receiver. Oh yeah. Uh, Donovan Knight and Ricky Person Jr., 
both of them playing out of their minds. Like again, NC State played to the best of their ability and it was good enough to beat one of the top ten teams in the country. And, and Clemson's quite, defense is still like you know highly rated. It's just that they're going through a lot of injuries. Like uh, mm-hmm. I think Nick Stocks just got hurt, and then there's another guy out there, uh, Lon. Brian Brzee got who, hurt. Yeah, so it's just the banged up Clemson team that it was just like yeah. I, I think did we uh, did we describe Clemson as like a wounded lion last week? Yeah, a wounded tiger. That, a wounded tiger. Oh, that was my thing, but it was a wounded lion. It was the actual. Uh, well, it's, it's usually just wounded animal, but even so. okay then. Um, but yeah. Yeah, NC State, they they ate their food. Yeah, I would say with a wounded lion, you get or wounded animal mode, you get one of two things. You either you either get them just rip ripping one out, trying trying to do whatever they can to stay alive, and you have no idea what to do. I got a fly near me. Good lord. Um, Got him. Anyway, sorry about that, y'all. Yeah, you either get them swatting. just like I did that fly. Uh, you have to get them swatting around, um, just doing whatever they can to stay alive, or they just don't have enough energy and they just, you know, die. And like yeah. I said, the wolf pack feasted here. So we shall move on from there to the one of the two top 10 matchups of the weekend. I would usually start with the top 10 matchups and a recap, but again, that comes in upset, which is too big to ignore. So let's move on to the first of our top 10 matchups of the weekend, and that is Arkansas versus Texas A&M. I got another flight, dadgummit, what the heck? All right, so you called this game right, I called it wrong. I thought Texas A&M would be a little bit more effective on offense. I This game was right about the score that I expected it to be, Arkansas 20, Texas A&M 10, very low scoring affair. I figured Texas A&M's defense would be able to step up when they needed to, and they did. Texas A&M did not lose this game because of their defense. For all those people talking about, like, oh, this was an elite Texas A&M defense. Like, where did that go? No. Texas A&M's defense played to the best of their ability here against a good Arkansas offense, especially a good Arkansas run game. And if also, if it weren't for just Traylon Burks getting wide open on one pass, this game looks a whole lot different. Suddenly it's a 13-10 game, and suddenly you're at... It's, it's really funny how people, like... There's like a huge difference between like a defensive performance if the game ends with your opponent with 13 points versus the, if they hit 20. Like you ever notice that? Yeah. Like suddenly it's not it's a not good defensive performance if because of one touchdown difference on one play. Like it wasn't like Arkansas drove down the field on that one. Yeah, people people will you know look back to this game and they only remember the box score maybe a couple of highlights but they won't remember the full uh, story about the Arkansas defense now. I, I won't I won't brag a little bit, but I will mention that I, I did think that it would come down to as Texas saying that I'm going to rely on Calzada's arm to beat Arkansas, and they tried it. That was a mistake with Jimbo. It was definitely a mistake that I kind of for, uh, like warned them not to do, and they didn't use Isaiah Spiller to his maximum capacity, and that's mm-hmm. what really came to the detriment of Texas A&M. Now the fact that I had probably like this you know premonition that Texas A&M would do that. I, I did think that Arkansas would take advantage. I think a lot of people coming into the season thought that Arkansas was going to be a slouch and see like the work they were putting in last year and the foundation that they were building. And I think they're reaping the fruits of their labor right now to where I, I know it's sad that KJ Jefferson did go down that last game and Traylon Burks is a bit banged up. So I would like to see them in that Georgia game for a, a great uh, football game next uh, this week, uh, this upcoming weekend. Mm-hmm. But um they still have a lot of good pieces around them. I think Traylon Smith is being a little bit underrated as well, too, in that run game. 
And um, you still have Raheem Sanders, a great backfield. You know, uh, you know, Sam Pittman coming from Georgia has kind of not to say replicated, but brought some of that. Uh, some of that. Uh, oh man, I'm trying to think of the word. Ah oh, man, uh, program culture. Yeah, let's let's go with that. Some of that uh, Georgia culture over to Arkansas, and uh, it's it's doing well. It's actually he's ahead of his timeline. Where I didn't see Arkansas, uh, I didn't see Arkansas being this good uh, this fast. I knew Pittman was going to be a good coach. I thought if they gave him time, they would uh, learn to appreciate him. But now, I think at this point, Arkansas, you have to extend Pittman for I don't know how many years to come because you beat you own Texas. The fact I saw one joke where it was like. Texas is no longer referred to as Texas. It's known as uh, it's now known as Western Oklahoma. I mean, the Western uh, Arkansas. <laughs> so I love it. I don't. I don't necessarily think it was the Georgia culture that Sam Pittman brought over. Now I think Sam Pittman brought a lot over from Georgia, but the culture at the end of the day is Arkansas. That's why Sam Pittman's working right now. It's because Sam Pittman didn't try to bring anything to Arkansas. He's just taking Arkansas and amplifying the best bits of it. He is Arkansas. He lives and breathes Arkansas football. Yeah. Like he like that's why he is fitting so well over there and why they're being successful. When you got a guy that you're willing to run a, through a wall for, there's a lot that those players are able to do even if they're not the most talented by far, not the most talented team in in the SEC. We clearly saw it by talent rating. A&M should have beaten the Tar Heels off of uh the Razorbacks, even though I don't think Razorbacks wear Tar Heels. But you know what I mean? Um, even so, it's a good game, um, regardless. Uh, again, Texas A&M, uh, their defense coming up for them near the end. Calzada, again, I, I just don't understand this at all. Calzada threw for 36 times in this game. Isaiah Spillow only got 12 carries in this entire game yep. and averaged 7.9 yards a carry. Why were you not handing the ball off to him more? Yeah, I get it. Like A lot of that came from a 67-yard touchdown, but even still... He ran for a 67-yard touchdown. Do you not want to try that just a little bit more? Exactly. Opportunity. So, squandered it. So, it's just going to be interesting. Absolutely. Hopefully, Jimbo can, uh, you know, get back right. And, you know, hopefully they don't lose out on too many recruits. But we'll see going forward. We will indeed see going forward. So, all righty. We'll move on to our next game. And that is going to be... The other top 10, or it wasn't a top 10 matchup, but it was the other ranked versus ranked matchup for this weekend. And that was Notre Dame versus Wisconsin on Soldier Field in Chicago. Man, the final score of this game does not accurately represent this game whatsoever. So, Xavier, you want to you want to start off with this one? I think it does. I think it does. I think it tells it all the justice. Um We'll start off from the beginning of the game. It was a very, very slow-paced game. Uh, neither side could break uh, points. They only got field goal. Well, not they broke points. So they got to, uh, it was three-three for a little while from the first uh, quarter going into the second. And then um, uh, was that? Well, let's see. After that, I think Kyron or either Chris Tyree took it from uh, that was Tyree. Kickoff. Yeah, Tyree. Tyree took it from the kickoff. Which, I mean, that's just talent over that mm-hmm. point. Graham Mertz couldn't connect with anybody, but. You know, Ferguson is tight end, and Ches Malusi can run against the Notre Dame defense, which I did have a sneaky suspicion about, to where I, I think the Notre Dame defense is not as good as, like, what they're showing on uh, film. Now, we'll say – well, let's say let's, – let me, let me clarify. I think their defensive line is not as good as what they're showing. Now, mm-hmm. I do trust in their secondary a lot. Now, that I'll get in a little bit more of that once I get to the end of the game. Then Wisconsin started to try to come back, uh, you know, through – 
you know, just claw their way back and make this a competitive game. Then once you got into like the third and fourth quarter, Graham Mertz just went into full sell mode to where mm-hmm. he just, you know, gifted turnover after turnover. Now, one of them wasn't his fault. It was a tip ball from a receiver to uh, one of their sec- uh, one of their corners or safeties. And the other one was completely his fault. So mm-hmm. he, he was just a, a walking turnover machine. And I think the final score, what was it, like 30-something? Uh, what? 20 it was or, 41-13. Yeah. 41-13. So it was just an utter, like, embarrassment on Wisconsin's part to where, you know, I don't know if we talked about this, but I was like, I, I mean, that a lot of people give Penn State credit for beating Wisconsin. I don't. I, I, I really didn't think Wisconsin, like maybe going into the year, I thought Wisconsin was going to be better. But after seeing them after that first game, I don't view, I don't rate them high, that highly. I don't think Penn State looks that impressive, especially to be the number four team in the nation in this week's AP poll. But Notre Dame got the win. They did what they were supposed to do. I think they ranked appropriately. I think the, the, uh, the AP knows that. And the college play, football playoffs is going to recognize that. Notre Dame being in the playoffs is always a mistake. And even though they're beating the ranked opponents that we maybe thought that we're going to get upsets this year, they just mm-hmm. don't look that good. Like they have UNC later. I think Notre Dame is still going to wax UNC. I mean, I met, at the beginning of the year, I had UNC beating Notre Dame, but now no. So I think Notre Dame is going to get a nice little bowl game. They'll probably be a top seven or a top 17, five through seven, wherever you want to put them. But I don't see them at top four, but they played a good game. Yeah, no, um, to be clear, what I meant what I meant by like the final score not accurately representing this game is like this made it look like like Notre Dame dominated this game from start to finish, and I don't think that's what happened at all. I think they dominated the fourth quarter, and that's really I mean again that's what you have to do if you're a top ten team where if you're struggling you have to be able to just put games away, and Notre Dame did. Now it helped a ton that Ches Malusi, like you said, just absolutely sold on Wisconsin. Like, again, like you said, one, one of the pick six is not his fault. The other one absolutely was. Uh, oh, Ches- you mean Graham Mertz. What did I say? Am I saying Ches Malusi <laughs> is the quarterback? Yeah. I am so yeah. sorry, y'all. Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz has become a liability for this Wisconsin team. Uh, we were all very excited about him after his debut against Illinois last year. Goes down with COVID. We come, he comes back. He looks worse. And we're all like, oh, maybe he just didn't ever recover from COVID. Dude, we are a, a year removed from that. And he still looks pretty awful. This Wisconsin passing game is almost non-existent with him as the quarterback. Yeah, they got a, they got a receiving touchdown this weekend. Whoop de doo! That's like the first one he's had since last year. Like Graham Mertz yeah. has become a liability for this Wisconsin team. And as much as I love Ches Malusi, I don't think he can carry this team on his back like a Jonathan Taylor could in years past. And so. I think Wisconsin might need to be looking for a change at quarterback just to see what else they have in the tank. Because if they continue to ride with Graham Mertz, I know you're. I know you picked them to win the West, Xavier. How are you feeling about that prediction? Oh God! At this point, I know I sent a DM where I was like, you know, I made the joke. I was like, I hate college football. It, it makes no <laughs> sense. Like, you know, back in the past, like the past maybe three or four years, everything made sense. Maybe there were a few like discrepancies and confusing like choices that were made but things were pretty like standard now i don't know what the i don't know what's happening mm-hmm. so it's just like we're, we're in a renaissance season everything is in la la and fantasy and wacky land 
uh, Georgia Tech is probably going to win the ACC by this year's <laughs> logic. So I don't know. We don't. Nobody knows college football. If you predicted any of these, like you know, this season going out this late, you sir are a fortune teller. Like pretty much the only two teams that feel like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing are Georgia and Alabama. Every, and we're not even saying that as like Georgia fans. Like you, you see the film. Like again, Georgia looks like a top four team in the country. Penn State doesn't. Like in a typical year, like I, Oregon or, is questionable. Or Oregon, Oregon, I'll, I'll give credit, but like I'll Penn give State, them, Iowa, I'll, that no. those are not like like if you watch the film, those don't look like a typical top four, top five team going into the year. Because like if we were to have the playoffs right now, I don't think there would be a soul to pick the upset in any of those games against mm. Georgia and Alabama. Not a soul. I don't. I don't think so either. Speaking of teams. Uh, that don't look like top four teams and are now rightly <laughs> so uh, demoted because of it. Our last big, I call them helmet games because I make these fancy little graphics for them. By the way, again, if you're listening on podcast, please check this section out on YouTube because I put some time and effort into these graphics. So we have Oklahoma or West Virginia at Oklahoma. Oof. This was not the game I was expecting it to be because, again, this Oklahoma offense it's just an enigma to me right now because I can't figure out what it is that is making them struggle so much. So Xavier, you got any thoughts on this? You know what? I'm going to take a note from the Oklahoma fans and, uh, you know, start with a little chant. Start Caleb Williams, please, for the love of God, Lincoln Riley. I think it was, uh, we want Caleb. Like, we, we want, want Caleb. Caleb. And then, like, Spencer Rattler at postgame was like, I don't listen to the crowd. They're not playing. And I was like, yeah, obviously they're not because with those weapons that you have, like, they're not squandering opportunities. Mm -hmm. I was like, you don't look like the the quarterback that we were promised, like another five-star guy that was going to come into Oklahoma and replicate, you know, QBs of pass, like the Kyler Murrays, the Bakers, the Jalen Hurts. Like, this is is essentially probably one of the best plug-and-play, like, offenses for a quarterback to be in. That's why every five-star quarterback keeps on committing to Oklahoma. Because they know that they have the opportunity to win a Heisman, to get draft, uh, to be draft eligible in the first round. Now, Spencer Rattler, I you could still have the, you probably still have a little bit of the clout to get first round, but your draft stock is falling. I don't. I, not look- I'll be honest. I don't know if he makes it in the first round now. Like I, if he just continues he, playing this way, this way, I yeah, have no clue. I have no clue either. Now I'll say at this point, there still might be some hope of like, you know, intangibles that some scouts may, Oh, if we just develop him right. And if he goes to the right, that's the problem. He's shown zero development. Like you can't be like, Oh, but if we just develop, like this is his third year at Oklahoma. If I'm counting correctly. Yeah. You were, yeah. You registered your freshman year. You sat behind, um, God, Jalen hurts the, your true freshman year. And now this is your full time starting your draft eligible. We were expecting you to take on the legacy of Jalen Hurts, and you've kind of squandered it towards this point. So I don't know what to say about this anymore. Like, you have the receivers. Like, I love Marvin Mims. love Mario Williams. Mike Woods looks great, too. Austin Sagner, a great tight end. And then they still have people back, like, behind them that they're putting in. Eric Gray, a great receiving back, which they gave, you know, a lot more looks this game, too. I think he was the only one with, like, what, their only touchdown today uh, on the day, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Let me take a look. No, no, Austin Stockner was, but Eric Austin Gray Stockner. got down the field. Yeah, Eric Gray was the one to get them down the field of, like, you know, short be- passes out the down in the flat in the backfield and him just running for, like, 60 yards. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to that. But you're telling me you can't, you know, spread out the offense, have an empty backfield, and you can't find an open receiver? 
Like you're telling me those five star receivers, not one of them, because I it's not like a Clemson situation. These mm-hmm. receivers are talented. They can get separation. We've seen it already before. Marvin Mims is no joke. Mario Williams is a great freshman. Mike Woods showed what he can do at Arkansas. They have different skill sets and intangibles. You're squandering talent. That's why they demoted you to six. And that's why I don't think Oklahoma's probably going to be in the college football playoffs if they don't win the uh, Big 12. And even then, I don't even know if a Big 12 championship would get guaranteed them that. If they go undefeated, they're going to be in. But even so, like... That's going to look really if, good. If the audience would allow me a Homer moment here for a second, Kirby gets a lot of crap for squandering yeah. a lot of talent. And oh, deservedly so sometimes. Like two years ago, uh, the year that Georgia lost to South Carolina because our offense was borderline anemic for a top five team that was inexcusable, we're oh, now yeah. looking at Oklahoma and Clemson all these teams just struggling offensively, and nobody's pointing the fingers at Lincoln Riley or Dabo Sweeney, it feels like. It you know always it, feels like it's somebody it else. What's that? You know what it is? It's the fact that, that we play in the SEC and that we don't go to the playoffs because we don't have the luxury of not like going against Bama every time we have to meet in the SEC championship. Like, if we had the luxury of going like and having either a one-loss season and being a big uh, a conference champion, we would make it or go undefeated in an easy conference and make it. But we always know we have to face probably the best team every single year at the end of the year, and that kind of always determines our playoff chances. Now, mm-hmm. this year, maybe a little bit different because we actually look like we deserve to be a top-four team if we lose to Bama. Now, as long as we don't lose in a uh, in an embarrassing fashion, but even still, if we blow out everybody else for the rest of the year, I don't think you know we still ha- would have strong consideration over mm-hmm. a lot of these other teams. Yeah. My apologies for the Homer moment there, but y'all, just some of the inconsistency in college football, I swear to yeah. God. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's really fathomable. It's just unfathomable. That's so. it for the fancy graphics and the in the helmets. Uh, but we do have some other games, some additional games here that we're going to run through a lot more quickly here um, that are just going to be on the screen listed here. Uh, first game, probably one of the more surprising upsets of the weekend, even though, like, yeah, UNC hasn't looked great. Also, Xavier, I'm so sorry. Your face is all messed up up there. Oh, okay. Uh, while you fix that, I'll talk about the Georgia Tech and UNC yes. uh, game. So uh, with that game, th- this is why I think college football right now is in such an interesting season and it's an enigma to where that entire game, it, it looked like the first quarter, oh, yeah, Sam Howe is about to just run all over them and just throw darts to, you know, Josh Downs. Then you start to see, hey, maybe that O-line is starting to collapse and they're getting a lot of three and outs. Then Georgia Tech kind of gets a field goal, then they start getting up, and then Things started getting out of hand very, very quickly. And Jeff Simmons is injected like late. And then I'm just like, dear God, they're about to run it up on uh, North Carolina. And they did not hold back. They did not. I don't don't know what to say. Like, I I know in the past I I had my, my, uh, I I said some unfavorable things about Sam Howell. I'm I'm glad I didn't never posted them because I would regret them today. But I know I've discussed them with Jared where I was like, I didn't like Sam Howell. I, I thought he was a very statue-like guy in the uh, the pocket and that he needed to improve on his mobility and, you know, to be able to extend plays. Now he's it looks like this season he has improved his mobility. Mm-hmm. But now it seems that he has a fumbling problem because there's no there's no excuse for three fumbles in a game. Mm-hmm. There's not – I can understand one, but after that, no, there's, there's no excuse. Hold on to the ball. Like, you need to be – like, this upcoming practice, you probably need to get in, like – in line with the running backs and work on ball security because it's unexcusable. And the fact that like, I won't call it an, a fumbling problem yet. I think he had a bad 
ball security game. People have that every once in a while. Like you saw Matt Corral where last year, like again, a little bit different, but where he would not have an interception for three games and then all of a sudden he's going to throw five. Like so just sometimes just sometimes you get into these mo- into these games where you just can't get your headspace right and as soon as you make one mistake and you make another all of a sudden it's just a part of you in that game now and you just it's hard for you to get over it. Yeah. So I'm not going to say it's a fumbling understand. problem yet, but I do agree with you that it's inexcusable for him especially against a Georgia Tech team who quite frankly as far as we know is not a very good team again lost to northern illinois uh to start the year but even still yeah howell had a bad game turnovers cost him here what there's no reason why georgia tech should be able to run up 45 on you that's on the defense that's not sam howell that's the defense yeah i think it's on the defense and the o-line the o-line oh it looked like the pass like it made georgia tech's pass rush look elite i think they had like what around like five to eight sacks. I don't even remember the number, but it was something ridiculous where I'm just like, this this can't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm looking so, up the stats I don't know what, real quick. Yeah, I don't know what Matt Brown is going to do for the future and for this program. I, honestly, I don't even know what any team in the ACC is really going to do. Like, I guess you can, you're not, none of you are getting a New Year's Six Bowl unless, actually, yeah, if you win a conference championship, then yeah. They had eight sacks yeah. on the day. Yeah, eight sacks. I knew it was something ridiculous because I was, I don't know why, but I was ready to talk about the uh, eight Justin sacks Fields and sacks. 13 tackles for loss. Yeah, My so God. like I, I was, I was, I was watching the Bears game earlier and watching them sack Justin Fields, and I felt bad. But then I was like, man, this reminds me of something. And then I was like, yeah, Georgia Tech did the same thing. <laughs> I was like, they're gonna have flashbacks. So that's what I was like. I knew it was some ungodly number that Georgia Tech shouldn't have. So yeah, it, it's just inexcusable on the offensive line and the defense. But I think yeah, in the combination of that, and then somehow having a terrible day, just was not gonna spell for a win, even if they tried to come back in the fourth quarter, which. I knew it wasn't going to happen. Oh no! As soon as as soon as Georgia Tech had that last touchdown, I was like, "No, nah, this is over." Yeah. Um, we'll go ahead and move on to another upset from this weekend, and that was Baylor upsetting Iowa State at home. So, yeah, I was probably one of the biggest fans of Iowa State coming into this offseason. I bought the hype. I was drinking the Kool Aid for the Cyclones. I was really hoping they would be able to just pick up where they were last year, come into the season, probably win, try to win the Big 12 for the first time. And honestly, if it weren't for, like with Oklahoma being down, if Iowa State was just able to be consistent, they could win the Big 12 this year. Except for the fact that Iowa State also decided to regress in many fashions, specifically with Mr. Brock Purdy. This man has become quickly becoming a liability for iowa state as a whole and the problem is i don't think they have anyone better behind him baylor played an incredible game they got up 21 not or i I believe it was 21 to 3 early on iowa state and iowa state tried to make a comeback there at the very end Uh, a couple calls don't go their way and and again just brock purdy making a really really dumb decision on the two-point conversion to just kind of throw it up and pray it was not it was not a very good call in my opinion, or just not a very good game for Iowa State here at the end of the day. And quite frankly, this is a massive blow towards their plans if they wanted to win the Big 12 because, again, this is their first Big 12 game of the year. Mm-hmm. They, got a lot, they got a lot better teams than Baylor to face down the road, and 
they got to be able to win these close games. That was their big problem two years ago is they couldn't win close games. Last year, they won a lot of those close games. Now are they back to losing these close games? If that's the case. They're looking at like a 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five season, and I don't think any Iowa State fan wants that. So, Xavier, what are you thinking here? Yeah, this is one of the games I couldn't watch, but because, you know, uh, if you follow uh, me or Jared, but mostly uh, if you follow Jared, if you follow Jared and saw that his feed on Saturday, then you saw that uh, the tweet of like, man, there's so many good games to watch. I, like, you just don't know which one to tune into. This is one of the ones I could not tune into because I was watching so many other upsets happen. And it was just very interesting because I, I saw that Brees Hall was the one that like get Iowa State to creep back in, but they couldn't uh, convert on the two points. So I was just like, Man, that's just really sad because I know you were a big Iowa State like uh, supporter and a big mm-hmm. uh, bot stocking to them. So I, I, I was more a little bit hesitant last season. I, I, you know, started to believe a little bit more as I saw and progress. And now, you know, I kind of had a lot of hopes, like a lot of Iowa State State fans of like, yeah, we get we're returning like majority of our starters on defense. Like I think it was like what twenty eight or something, something that, along those lines. Well, or, no, they 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 returned like twenty eight starters and like almost everybody on defense. Yeah. So. There was just so many good things, and it was looking up for Iowa State, and then you listen to this Baylor team, and I, not to, that's not uh, nothing to discredit Baylor. I think, surprisingly, I have to say this, I think Baylor is probably like, yeah, a good team in the Big 12 this year, and it's, it just feels weird to say, and, and the fact that you beat Iowa State, they're the reason they're right now. I, I, I never thought it would, you know, we'd come to this day so soon, but Baylor is back in its, you know, old prominence. No, maybe not as, like, far as, you know, being in the RG3 era, but, yeah. And again, I, I agree with you. I, I, Baylor's definitely come back a lot quicker than I thought they would. I thought losing Matt Rule uh, to the NFL was going to uh, kill them for a couple of years. but And all those they, uh, allegations, too. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, God, I don't even get me started on the NCAA and their pitiful, um, their pitiful way of punishing programs. Anyway... We'll move on from this game, and we're going to move on to the game I call a tale of two halves, and that was Michigan 20, Rutgers 13. Xavier, you probably had more interest in this game than I did while we were watching it, so I'm going to let you kind of take over here and you, you kind of express your thoughts. Yeah. Um, oh, man, what do I have to say about this? Because it's like I, – I, like, it's easy to dunk on Michigan because we've all done it so far in the past. But, I mean, honestly, they've looked good this season. Mm-hmm. And But, I mean, their formula has been run the ball. Like, that's it's mainly been it. And then, like, you know, after they run the ball for a while, they kind of change it up. And then, like, they go for a little deep pass um, with um, – who's their quarterback? Uh, McNamara at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so they'll do that. And it, it works. It's been working so far. And But the fact that Rutgers came in knowing the game plan, I think kind of, like – throw a wrench in their plans to where Corum looked good for the first few drives. Like he came in with three carries and had 30 yards immediately. Then they put Hassan Haskins out there and he came in, did the same thing. They threw downfield and they gave Haskins for the goal line on the first drive. And I was like, okay, well, that's just going to, you know, it's going to be a little bit of more, uh, it's going to be like this all day long. And then after that, it kind of stopped after their second touchdown where Corum couldn't really get going. So they relied on Haskins for a lot of their goal line uh, work. And after, and then after the second touchdown, nothing. The offense just went stagnant. They couldn't convert on downs at all. Rutgers looked like they were, you know, you know, stop uh, getting to the QB, stopping them on the run. Uh, you know, their bread and butter. So it just got really a battle of like, you know, the trenches and the, just the battle of who wanted it more and who can score more points. 
Mm-hmm. And Rutgers tried to make a comeback early too because I think they scored before halftime, and the score was really close, like fourteen to seven or either fourteen to three. And then ended up ultimately, you know, Michigan pulled away in the fourth with their um, with with their field goals, and yeah, that's really it. They never scored again. I don't think so. Mm. Yeah, it was just a very I don't want to say back and forth game, but it was just more of like one of those uh, those tougher games. Not, I'm not gonna say like. Michigan's defense, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll call it a battle of the defenses. It's just like who wanted it more and who could uh, get more stops. I mean, I think somebody summed it up. I think I was perusing on Reddit uh, for this game and everything. I think somebody said it best when they're just like, this game truly is the epitome of showing just how much we just don't know about this year. Is Rutgers yeah. good? Is Michigan, <laughs> it turns out, kind of bad? We have no clue. No. None whatsoever. Are these teams actually close? Was this a fluky game? We don't know. We have no clue. Rutgers now 3-1. and 3-1 and one could be a good team. It's not like Rutgers has gone and lost to people that they just should not have. Rutgers is taking care of business every step that they should. Same with Michigan. But now they come together and it's a close game. I'm going to lean towards Rutgers is probably a little better than we're thinking. But even still, like it could easily be the other side where it's like Michigan maybe just isn't as good as we think. I don't know. Yeah, I think the, I think we thought the talent gap was a lot like wider than what we initially thought. Maybe mm-hmm. Rutgers is you know a little bit more developed and seasoned, and uh, and their team uh and their team depth chart than we thought. And because like you know going in, I was just thinking, yeah, Michigan, they got Corum and Haskins. It's just gonna run it up, and you know it'll, it'll probably be over by halftime, so I can stop looking. But no, no, they kept me they kept me uh going till for all four quarters. So no, fair enough. All right, we'll move on to our next game here. And usually I like to go back and forth with who like takes the lead in the discussion. But Xavier, you've oh, been God, having a kind of you, 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 you've been kind of uh, putting yourself like tying yourself to Michigan State here this year. So I'm going to let you kind of lead the discussion here. Michigan State 23, Nebraska 20. Xavier, what are your you know thoughts what? on this game? It's the, it's the same thing from last game. I don't know. Who, like, I'll say this. I know Michigan State is good, but I don't know what Nebraska is. Like, what what uh, what is the record right now? They're zero and three, or like one and three, or something. Uh, I believe they are two and three. Two and three. They I, beat I don't, Buffalo I can't and they have... beat Wilford. Yeah, so or, they, they beat teams that. Uh, Fordham. Ooh, I don't know Fordham is the team yeah. they beat. Fordham. Okay. I, I just can't get a gauge of like Nebraska's defense looked really good against Michigan State. Like they stopped the run completely. Kenneth Walker was a non-factor, and I was mm-hmm. just, I I was shocked. I will not. I will not lie. I was definitely shocked. I didn't think Nebraska's front could stop the run like that. But also, Payne Thorne didn't have his greatest day. Um, you know, he's been fantasy relevant for the past uh, two weeks now. His first game, maybe mm-hmm. not so much because that was the Kenneth Walker show. But the past two games, he's thrown for four touchdowns. So I wasn't uh, necessarily expecting a four touchdown game from him this game, but I expected a lot better, and it just didn't look like that. Honestly, Jalen Reed really won them that game. Oh yeah, he uh, he returned a punt. Uh, he caught a lot of great passes. Got, got caught some touchdown passes as well too. So, um, yeah, it just really who wanted more. Nebraska really can. Um, Adrian Martinez, that's that's still an enigma of like you can still pick him up this season in fantasy. But I think a lot of people are just knowing like if you do it, it's gonna be the week that he just doesn't it doesn't work. Yeah, out. I was like, I the one week that you do start him, he will disappoint you. 
And I don't even know. I think this week he didn't have the greatest of the week. Uh, no, he did. I was compiling the stats this morning. He scored almost 30 points again this year. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's it's just always an enigma with him. Where I'm just like, I know as soon as I pick you up and put you on my team, it's not going to happen. Like, your rushing ability will just turn to nothing, and you can't complete a pass, and you'll throw me multiple interceptions. So, mm. I, I think I definitely think Michigan State is the uh, more elite program out of the two, but Nebraska showed some I wouldn't call fight. them elite, but I, I, I say they're I, the better say program this. right now. I'll say this. In terms of this season of college football, I think Michigan State is one of the elite. <laughs> they definitely look I, I like one of the better teams. I don't know, like, I, like, yeah, I don't know what you want to say about, like, yeah, I don't rate Penn State or Iowa that highly. I rate Michigan State probably as, like, in my personal opinion, the best team in the Big Twelve. Best, best team in the Big Twelve. Yeah. Oh no, man, Big Ten. Wow. <laughs> too many, too many big conferences. Just need to, you know, get together and make a super conference big, to compete with the SEC. The Big Twenty-two. Yes. I mean, it might, actually, no. They still wouldn't have the correct number of teams then, because it would be nope. it'd be twenty four teams. God, why are we so bad at naming things? Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the next game here, and that is LSU twenty eight, Mississippi State twenty five. I don't think we actually did a preview on this game last week, which if we didn't, shame on me. Because yeah, I'm lo- I'm looking back on our list of games here. From last week and LSU Mississippi State's not on here. Shame on me. I should have. We. I. Uh. I don't know why I didn't include this game last week. This was probably, in my opinion, one of the more interesting games going to this weekend. Yeah. I don't think if uh, if LSU lost this game, especially if they lost it convincingly, I think it might have been the end of Ed Ogeron. Um, oh, absolutely. I. 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 It, it, this is definitely one of those t- teams where LSU had to just come in here and prove, like, listen, if we can't beat Mississippi State, there's no way we're beating Bama. There's no way we're beating Arkansas. There's no way we're beating Ole Miss. A&M, uh, their, their offense is still very questionable. But even still. Hell, Missouri as well, too. Here. Exactly. Like, uh, like, LSU, I think this is a bigger win for Ed Ogeron than I think a lot of people are kind of giving him credit for, especially since it really took Mississippi State coming back big time in the fourth quarter in order for this game to be even close. Because LSU is winning this thing pretty definitively throughout most of it. And so I think it was a good day for LSU for the most part. They did what they needed to do to win. Now, again, if I remember correctly, and let me just look up this game real quick. The run game once again struggles for LSU, uh, LSU which again, is the, in, in my opinion, is the reason why they aren't uh, scoring more points. If they were able to run and pass, LSU would be one of these teams where you never know how many points they could put up on the scoreboard every week. Right now, I think they are going to be limited to right around that 28-35 with even as great of pass-catching options as they have. Like Cole Taylor, their tight end has kind of emerged. Yeah. Uh, some of these receivers, uh, freshman receivers, Brian Thomas, Deion Smith are coming up now. Keishon Butte once again had a great day. They got great options there, but again, as soon as they run into a team where they have DBs that are able to slow those guys down, it's going to be a problem for LSU. So, Xavier, any more thoughts on this game? Yeah, I I, um, I watched this game. I had a few players playing. I had Max Johnson and Kayshawn for the stack, and it was a great day for that. But, I mean, you know what? I, I kind of you feel bad now because I was one of the biggest Max Johnson believers going into the season. I had him rated over Miles Brennan. I thought Max Johnson should have been the starter. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking at it now. And I'm like, man, if Miles Brennan was healthy, 
I think I probably would have wanted Miles Brennan now that I'm seeing the games. And so Avery, I'm I'm getting chills over here for for you admitting that because I was a big Miles yeah, Brennan I guy. I know, I know. It's it it feels weird. It's like watching Miles Max Johnson play. It's not that he's doing anything wrong. It's just that you know, without the run game and him having to like rely on his like own legs, which he can get those downs, but he's not like a guy that's gonna throw for. 60 times a game. They, mm. they play very conservative with him to where I don't even think if you're looking at that game right now, did he even throw more than 25 attempts? Probably like 27 at max, if I had to guess. Um, he threw for 280 yards, and the box score says he threw 27 times. Yeah, so 27 times max. I don't think they give him like enough free reign. With Miles Brennan, I think in that game, he's throwing at least 45 times because if Will Rogers is throwing 60 times for the past three games, mm. Why is LSU not doing the same thing? They probably would have ran up the score a little bit more. But, I mean, yeah, like you said, if they're going against teams with decent DBs, it's not much you can do when you're not having that much faith in your quarterback to, you know, give them the, the launch codes. Mm-hmm. So, and the fact that you're relying on this weak run game, it just it would feel a little bit more comfortable if I had Miles Brennan and maybe, you know, the receivers would probably have a little bit more inflated stuff. Like, Keyshawn Busse is still leading the uh, country in, like, touchdowns, but he's very far away from yards. Like I don't, I don't even think he's like top five. It's not even close. So, yeah. Again, just going back to the run game. I, I just looked at, I just looked at the performance in this game. Exactly zero running backs here for LSU, averaging over four yards a carry. Darian yeah. Davis Price gets three point nine. Corey Kiner getting three point five. Armani Goodwin getting three point seven. Again, it's not like these are bad running backs. Again, there's just something up with this LSU offense to where they just cannot run the ball. I will say Mississippi State will be interesting going forward, like even into next season, because like the fact that Will Rogers is like gunslinging it out like the past three games I've noticed. I'm like, I don't think there's a quarterback attempting more passes than Will Rogers in the country. Xavier, do you know how many attempts that he had this last game? 69, I think, or 62. something. 62. Not yeah, 69. 62. But 62 no, yeah, passing but attempts this it, last game. Like, look look at God. his last three games. Look at his last three games. It's been over. It's been 60 or 60. It's just up there. And I'm just like, you're going to put up a lot of yards, but also there's going to be a lot of room for mistakes. But well, I was like, one day it's going to click. He doesn't put up a lot of yards because every pass that he has is like less than five um, yards down the field. Yeah. They, they rely on him to, or they rely on guys to then create yards after the catch. Yeah. But that's not working that right to, now. Yeah, it's not. Jaquavius Marks, I mean, great guy, great uh, running back for PPR and, you know, a great receiving back. But yeah. He's not throwing more than five yards. And also, it's like Jaden Wiley is not completely back to where I'm just like, man, you were that great freshman. Austin Williams, like the guy that was supposed to start over him, doesn't look that impressive as well, too. And, I mean, I know you like Marshawn Polk. Um, Yeah, he probably does look like Makai Polk. I don't know why I said Marshawn Polk. Makai Polk, yeah, definitely their best receiver so far this season. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like going forward. I mean, yeah, definitely I think for the season he probably will be, but I know for the future we'll see. It's just so much – this, like like we said, this season is just very just weird. Oh, speaking of weird games, this was one that I did not see coming whatsoever, and that was Oregon State 45, USC 27. What the hell happened here? Like look. And I, I, look. I think I know, but I'll let you I'll let you spell it out for me, Xavier. I didn't even watch this game because this is packed full of after dark. I'm in bed, cozied up, ready to go to sleep. Um yeah. Jackson Dart, um, please come back. I, I don't, I'll give you my meniscus or whatever that you need. Like, somebody will give you your meniscus because Keaton Slovis is not it. I think 
I think this is the game that proves Keon Slovis just isn't it. Like the fact that like you're definitely like the fact that Miller Moss might get like some looks this week from uh, the interim coach and like, hey, you want to compete for this QB one job because this guy can't get it done. Slovis's stock is like probably one touchdown, three interceptions. Yeah, so like all that talk about preseason, oh, too early, way too early draft where Slovis was like, oh man, he's a top five quarterback in this draft. Yeah, no, not even close. Well, again, because people t- had this idea that he beat out JT Daniels. And they're like, oh, my God, he's a three-star quarterback that beat out a five-star. It's like, no, like, he no. didn't. He didn't. I JT was- had that job. He got his ACL torn. And then he came in, played halfway decent. And then everybody's like, oh, revisionist history. That's not what happened. Yeah. I, I will give uh, we'll Slovis credit. He did have a good completion percentage that last season. But that was a COVID season. And kind of, I can kind of just throw that away for certain certain players. And I think Slovis I'm just gonna throw that away. You only play Pac-12 opponents, mm-hmm. and you're dealing with COVID. So now that everybody's like, you know, off of the COVID protocols and stuff. Well, not off completely off, but you kind of understand my gist of like, there's not as much restriction. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have to face these teams like head on, like not to say full strength, but not like that's one less restriction that you have to go uh, that that's working in your favor. So. Right now, yeah, no, you're not a top five quarterback. I, you could still get drafted. I still doubt it because I don't see anything about you that I want on an NFL team. You could be a backup. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, there's not much else to say here. And, again, like this USC defense, like I was giving them praise last week after the performance against Washington State. I, I retract a lot of that for this performance. Oregon State should not put up 45 points on you any yeah. day of the week, regardless of how poor your QB might be playing. Again, imagine the three interceptions and the turnovers do not help the defense, but even still. Yeah. Anyway, we got two more games to run through here. Uh, we got Boston College beating Missouri 41-34 in overtime. This is a great you, you game. You want to talk about that again? Yeah. I'll, I'll talk about it. This, this, this is a great game. Uh, Grissel, the quarterback for Boston College, is playing a lot better than I thought he would. I believe he's a walk-on, if I remember correctly. Oh, like he is like, like he was not a he was not recruited out of high school. He was zero star at the very least. He was zero stars. Uh, he was playing behind Phil Jerkovich there for good reason because I do think there's a drop off between him and Jerkovich. But even so, he played probably the best game that he's played so far for Boston College. And boy, oh boy. Um, Missouri, yeah, the, their defense needs some work. Um, it was definitely one of those games where as soon as you saw Missouri take the lead near the end, um, I believe it was, uh, good Lord, I, I believe it was, I believe they, they had 24 points. They scored a touchdown to go up 31 to 24 to 28. You just knew as soon as it was like two or three minutes left in the game, and you're just like, you just knew in that moment Missouri was not going to be able to get a stop. Boston College was going to be able to score. Now, thankfully for Missouri, their offense is capable, and they were able to then score a uh, field goal in order to send this game into overtime. But even still, that was what was the problem here at the end of the day. Boston College, um, in overtime, without really even trying that hard, tosses a touchdown to Zay Flowers in the end zone. They got a touchdown. So now it's Missouri's turn. Basilike almost immediately throws an interception, and that was it. Um, it was just one of those things where I don't think, no matter how many times they went to overtime, that Boston College is going to score a touchdown every single time. And Missouri was not going to win this game because their defense just couldn't stop a like they couldn't stop a feather if they wanted to. Yeah, 
I, I caught the tail end of this game because I started seeing it get kind of close, and I was like, um, isn't the Boston College QB supposed to be a backup? And he didn't even have the greatest of days. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think, you know, I, I feel bad. You know, I, I, not to say I don't feel bad for anybody in Missouri. Maybe Tyler Beatty a little bit because his talents are being wasted, but he still looks great. Great running back this year. Uh, if you drafted him in your, fan, uh, in your drafts, good for you. Because I, I sure um, – going into the year, did we, there was like some controversy about Tyler Beatty and there was another back that you, a lot of people were thinking we we're going to cut into him and then Beatty kind of took over. Well, I got worried because I didn't see him get a ton of usage in the spring game and everything, but then he oh, put okay. on 20 pounds and they're just like, all right, you can be a legitimate three down back for us. And I'm like, bet. Yeah, but I, I will say I feel for Boston College because this would probably be the season for them to like win it all in the ACC. If we're I, not- I, I would, they are 4-0, but I think that, that ends at some point, like against Wake Forest or uh, another team. So, but I feel for the most is Zay Flowers. I, I loved, you know, seeing – I love seeing his progression as a wide receiver over the years. Like last year, he showed a lot of great flashes. And this year, I was like, oh, man, him and Jerkovic are going to put it together and have a nice little tandem to where, honestly, a jerkovic Zay Flowers stack would have been probably one of the best stacks to have. Mm-hmm. And now we have to, you know, kind of just get used to quarterback. What is it, Grissel? Yeah, Grissel. Zay Flowers. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's Zay Flowers still had a good day, but he didn't have over the hundred or two hundred yards that he was getting, like you know, with Jerkovic in the lineup. So it's definitely a drop off. I feel for Boston College and their fans because it's probably the best season, the best opportunity that they had. Because next season, yeah. a lot of teams are going to start reworking or retooling and. Boston College is going to have to do the same as well if they're going to lose Zay and um, if Jerkovic declares. So mm-hmm. that's yep. all I have to say about that. Yeah, fair enough. And so one yeah. last game we're going to throw in here. You guys knew this was coming because we're homers. Uh, oh, but- my God. I forgot about this game. <laughs> I think you just blew out your mic and mine. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Anyway, Georgia 62, Vanderbilt 0. Uh, this was a beatdown of historic proportions, and I, we just, uh, again, give us our moment, guys. Yeah, you know, it's Vanderbilt. It's hard to beat anybody 62 to nothing. And this game could have been, we could have hung 100 in this game if Georgia had wanted to. There were two turnovers within the 15-yard line of Vanderbilt that kept this game from being even uglier than it was. This was, again, a beatdown of historic proportions, and just... Let us have our minute here. I'm going to let Xavier talk. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'll start off by, you know, establishing, like, some context. I think for the four years that me and Jared have been, uh, we, when we've been at the University of Georgia under as undergrads, we've only seen Georgia score over 50 points probably, like, once or twice. Mm-hmm. So for us to see this, like, actually happen and to do it against a team that we're supposed to do it against, is a very touching moment and a surreal moment for our offense and our offensive hopes that we had coming into this season. Now, I'm not saying that, hey, we told you so that the Georgia passing game is there and this and that. Like, obviously, it was a balanced game, and we've definitely found some gems in our offense. Lad McCockney, honestly, I, I saw him in the spring game as a, as a homer and a guy that, you know, follows Georgia closely. I wasn't expecting him to have this type of, uh, you know, production in his freshman year. I, I did not see him, you know, even cracking the starting lineup. And he did, and against the, uh, it was against Vanderbilt, but I honestly legit, like, you know, I'm looking at him for like, hey, we're probably going to need you down the stretch in these uh, tougher games. And Brock Bowers has lived up to everything that I've hoped as a tight end. Mm-hmm. 
And for all those that say we don't use the tight ends, I'm just happy that, you know, George is proving you wrong. And also, I love that, you know, a lot of the top tight ends in the nation out of high school are giving us looks as well. Pierce Sperlin, if you're listening, please come to Georgia. I know you do because there's nowhere there's nowhere else you're going to get this type of production. I promise you. We will throw you in there. If you're, if you're doing Brock if you're doing Brock Bowers type of things, you will get in the offense. We will reward you for your talents. I, I think this is a hashtag. Hashtag Delp is a dog. Yes. Oscar Delp. Oh, yeah. I forgot. That's what, that's what I meant. Pierce Brown's already committed. So good for you, Pierce. Also, Oscar Delp. Come to Georgia. It seems it seems fun over here, right? It does. But Absolutely. enough of the recruiting. Let me get to the defensive side of the ball. Now, I know in the past week, there has been the question of, is this the, probably the best Georgia defense of all time? I will say no. Or not, well, not in all time. I'll say in recent memory. I'll say no. I think our 27 de- 2017 defense was probably the most balanced defense that we had on all sides of the – like in every, fa- in every facet on all three levels. This has probably the best D-line we've probably had in a long time, arguably probably all time. I have never seen a front like this in my life. I, I know I'm young, but – you know, I know there's been a lot of great defenses in the past of like Nebraska's and Miami's, but I have never seen a defensive line do anything like this and have the linebackers in the back two that are making good tackles. I know Jared's probably been the biggest guy about this for the past three years, and I told him to wait on it. Now, I kind of kind of got a little bit frustrated this last uh, last year when I was like, okay, Jared, I kind of see what you mean. But we're finally making tackles. We're finally wrapping up and getting to the quarterback. And it's just a great, like, sigh of relief and like validation to finally see this happening and all put it together and have a great season that we're having. So I'm sorry to all the Vanderbilt fans, if there are any Vanderbilt football fans, but this is just what happens when you have the number two team in the nation come into a a suspect SEC East team or not even a suspect SEC team. I think honestly, your SEC card should be revoked because honestly, you just haven't been doing much. No, no, no. We still, we still need it for baseball. And academics. Oh, yeah, that's right. Baseball and academics and, yeah, that's it. And music. That's true. Sorry, Vandy. M- music's nice. I like the music. Yeah, music is nice. There, You have good music. But, yeah, regardless of that, pre- uh, thank you for allowing us. If you stayed this far for our rant, I really appreciate it. I wanted to get it out. I know me and Jared talked about this earlier, and we delved into a little bit more deeper stuff about our future. But this game was just a, a fun time to watch. We got to see a lot of different things and a lot of different uh, calls. I was using my, I was losing my absolute crap during this game because I was just like, <laughs> like we were up thirty-five nothing in the first quarter, and I was just like, I can, uh, I can't even believe there was even like a sliver of doubt in my mind that like we would struggle in this game. I woke up with a nightmare in the middle of the night. I was like, did we? Are we losing to Vandy? I definitely, I, like, I, okay. I think every college football fan has had that dream before, where like. You just wake up in the middle of the night, just like, oh god, did, did we just lose to an FCS team? <laughs> I was like, I've never had that. Vanderbilt calls that a Saturday. Yeah, I was just like, all right, because as a Georgia fan, you just have to have that expectation of like, there will always be an unranked South Carolina or an unranked just anybody that will just catch you on the off week and just have a mobile quarterback, which they did, which I was kind of concerned for for maybe two seconds of that game. I was happy like, about it. It's it's practice for against KJ KJ Jefferson next week. It absolutely was great scout team practice. Disrespectful, Jared. Disrespectful. Nah, it's all practice. They are anyway. That's our recap of week four. When a look again, 
I, I feel like I say this every episode, went a little longer than we meant to. But you know what? I have such a good time with Xavier. He's my buddy. We're here to talk college football all day long for you guys. And we thank you so much for listening. Uh, please make sure, once again, that you are following us on Twitter at CFF underscore Jared, at CFF underscore Xavier. Please DM us, add us, whatever you need to do to get our attention, and we will try to answer any questions that you will have for us. I love answering questions like that. You also want to leave questions down below in the comments for these videos. That is more than welcome as well. Also, you want to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and leave a question in there? That'll certainly get our attention, and we'll appreciate that every bit that we can. Uh, Like I said, make sure you're following us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. Subscribe on YouTube. Again, guys, it has been incredible, the growth we have seen from the offseason to now. It has been fantastic to see you guys supporting us every which way that you can. We love it. So, Xavier, you have anything else you want to say before we head out of here? Uh, yeah, I just want to um, basically just say uh, say what you said. I can't – man, I'm lost for words today. It's just so much good college football, and we appreciate all the support. Um, be on the lookout for our preview tomorrow uh, mm-hmm. for – what week five it'll be week five already week five already man this college football season's going by uh it feels like yesterday was week zero so mm. we've had a good ride uh we can't wait to keep on continuing and to give y'all good content uh yeah and keep on chasing that natty those for all our uh you know og subscribers that were there from the beginning jared that you, your little old slogan oh go 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 chase those natties yeah, is that what, that's a, that we're trying to bring that's a, that's that back. Little, we're gonna we're gonna have a call back for the one day. <laughs> hey man, when we get a real natty, I'll I'll I will be, I will oh, be telling everybody absolutely. all day. You guys go chase him now. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, y'all have a fantastic day, and we will see you guys next time. And once again, enjoy the outro music because it is back, baby. <laughs>